Thank you so much. You can all be seated. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, it's genuinely an honor to be here. That's not a platitude. I genuinely mean it. And uh, Pastor Steve, Angie, Andrew, others, thank you for having me. Uh, it's an honor to be here. I love what God is doing here at the C3 Church, uh, even all the way over in Colorado. Uh, I love and hear about all that God is doing here. And so uh, anyway, kudos to the kingdom of God. Kudos to you guys. It's incredible. The last six weeks or so, I've kind of joined in with your influence series on my hiking through the rock every Monday afternoon, downloading the message and hearing that, and just some fantastic content. So we're going to continue that on here in just a moment. I want to first, though, uh, really uh, celebrate the team that's with me. My wife, Lori, is down here. And so, Lori, I love you, and I'm so glad you came with me on this trip. Uh, my wife's an American, so she's an all-American girl. And then Rick and Laura, and uh, they work with us very closely in leading the church that we're honored to lead in Colorado Springs, just south of Denver, about one hour. Well, my accent, at this point, I'm speaking a little so that you can determine my accent. And clearly, at this point, none of you know where I'm from. Uh, I'm increasingly concerned that I don't even know where I'm from, like truly. Uh, I was born in Newmarket, so just across the border in the mighty town of Suffolk or the county of Suffolk. And uh, I'm not an Ipswich fan. Uh, I clearly was called by God at a young age to the kingdom ways, and so I'm a Norwich fan. And so um, anyway, not a Liverpool fan or a Man City fan or anything like that that seems popular around here among church leadership. But anyway, I'm a Norwich fan and uh, I'm grateful for that. But here's the thing, my accent is really, really hard to place. And uh, my colleague Rick here makes fun of me saying that I'm from Australia. Jaden, I'm not from Australia. Australia, I promise. Um, I'm also, though, really not from the States, but yet my accent is somewhat of a hybrid. So all of that to say, my apologies in advance if you spend the next 35 minutes not listening to the content, but listening for the accent. I'm just saying that right now. So apologies in advance. Anyway, listen, we've got to get started. We've only got about two hours, he said, so let's get to it. Just kidding. All right, go ahead and turn your Bibles to the book of Acts, the book of Acts. Here's what I want to do this weekend. I want to take about 30 minutes and I want to root the newest installment in the kind of influence call upon your church. I want to root it in the first century narrative of the book of Acts. It's a fantastic narrative that God has given to us, not as a descriptive of what happened, but as a prescriptive for what can happen. And I believe that in the first century where the book of Acts was written, where the Spirit of God fell and where the church, cross the first cross-cultural church was established, it is an incredible mandate for us as a church. The book of Acts was written by a very influential doctor. He was a medical doctor. He had the name Luke. Luke, in an egotistical kind of way, wrote the first book named after himself, the Gospel of Luke. And so it's a little bit random. Don't ever name a book that you write after yourself. That's like the book of Steve is coming out next month. Just kidding. So the Gospel is the book of Luke, and that is the incredible Gospel of the prequel of the coming of Christ. So Jesus comes in the ministry of Christ. It's the prequel. Well, then Luke writes a second book, and that is the book of Acts, and that's the sequel, and that's the work of the Holy Spirit among the people. Together, though Luke only wrote two books, he writes one-fourth of the New Testament. I don't know if you know that. We know of Paul, the writer of the most prolific books. He's got lots and lots of books. But if you put just on a content basis, the book of Acts and the Gospel of Luke are more percentage-wise of the New Testament than anything that Paul wrote. So he is the most prolific writer in the New Testament. Well, anyway, I want to root what we're going to do this weekend in the book of Acts, and here's why. I believe as much as the book of Acts reveals to us what God has done, it throws down this call to us to boldly go and influence the kingdom of God in our lives. As much as it says, this is what God has done, 
it says this is what God can do. So here's what we're going to do. Over the next 30 minutes, we're going to use Acts 3 and Acts 4 to create for us a frame. It's going to be a frame about the call to influence. Then we're going to go into Acts 5 very briefly and identify five points that I believe the C3 church should be living in to influence as a church throughout all of East Anglia and this nation. So that's where we're going to go. And so let me pray, and then we'll get started with Acts 3. Father, thank you that, God, we can gather together here on a Sunday morning in Cambridge, a beautiful town, a beautiful city. And Father, we can gather here today as believers, as friends, as guests, as those that we've welcomed and invited in. All of us in our unique place and story in life, but we can gather here now and press pause on our lives and take a moment to encounter you and your word. But Lord, most of all, I pray that your spirit would come and you would speak through me now that none of us would leave here the same. We would all leave here transformed today by your spirit. And we ask this in your name. Everyone said, come on, come on. All right, here we go. Acts 3, let's get to work. Acts 3, verse 1, we pick up an account where Peter and John are going one random day for prayer at the temple. And as they approach the temple, you'll pay attention to verse 2, a man lame is before them. A man lame from birth, uh, and he was carried and laid there daily at the gates, at the gate called the beautiful gate there by the temple. And he would go there, the scripture tells us, to ask for alms. Essentially, he would ask for money. And so one day, Peter and John are going there, and they're simply going to encounter God, and all of a sudden, they encounter God's mission. How many of you know that oftentimes in life, when you're just going about life, that is the time where God wants to show up in a surprising way? All of a sudden, you show up at work one day, and you're just going to work, but God's like, no, 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 I'm about to work. And as you go into that situation, God shows up. Well, Peter and John are there, and they see this young fellow, and he's there looking down, and he's not wanting to look up at them. And Peter and John say something to him. Look at verse 4. It says, Peter directed his gaze at him, as John did, and they said, look at us. Look at us. I want you to understand the heart of what he says. When Peter looks at the cripple there at the beautiful gate, he's not saying, now look at me. Like sometimes if you're talking to one of your kids and you're like, okay, you're looking at everywhere but me right now and you're wanting to get their attention. You're wanting to speak something into their life. Well, in the same way, Peter isn't doing this because he's trying to make a point of being dominant over the cripple. He's rather wanting to speak life into this person. How many of you know that if you've walked with shame, you did something that you regret, you've made a choice that you've prolonged and now you've got the effects of that poor choice and somebody says, look at me, I want to speak life into you. What do you want to do? You want to look everywhere but in their eyes. So Peter looks at them and he says, I want to speak life into you. So sure enough, the cripple looks up in verse 5. He fixes his attention on them. And then underline this, if you're an underliner or if you've got the app going at this point, expecting to receive something from them. But then Peter said, I have nothing that you think you need. I have no, it says, silver and gold. Well, we know the end of the story. The end of the story is that Peter is about to give something of incredible value. But in that moment, the cripple's looking, saying, I've given you my attention. I'm expecting to receive. I'm looking up at you. He couldn't move. He was carried there. He's literally looking up at Peter. And then Peter says, I have no silver and gold. And there are times in all of our lives when it's as much as we can do to get to the C3 church on a Sunday. It's as much as we can do to gather together. And it's as much as we can do to even sit here. And then I believe that the Spirit of God today would say, no, 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 look. 
And sometimes we hear and then we leave and we go, man, I didn't get what I needed. But I believe that this weekend, God is wanting to speak life into you right now. In the same way that Peter says, he says, but, but what I do have, I give to you. Right there is a snapshot of the kingdom of God. You guys are in a vision series right now where you're talking about a vision offering. A vision offering is essentially you saying, God, that which I have, I give. And Pastor Steve hasn't asked me to speak to this this morning, but what an incredible opportunity that God is presenting to you as a church to reach beyond this one location into number of locations to make a difference because people matter to God and every story is significant. And you get to be a part of that. So we bring what we have, but we bring it in the name of Jesus. And then look at a sudden, Peter says, I'm going to give you right now the gift of healing. He takes him by the right hand. He raises him up and immediately his feet and his ankles were strong. He enters the temple and he's just jumping around. At one level, we look at that and we go, man, this is fantastic. This is amazing. Someone has been healed. Peter and John are like kicking tail for the kingdom of God. Everyone's going to be happy, right? No, they're not all happy because every time there is a conversion, there is a critic. Every time the kingdom of God goes forward, there will be a backlash against it. So sure enough, there is a backlash. Acts 4 verse 1. Peter shows up and Peter starts to preach. As the lame man is dancing, 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 dancing in the temple, all of a sudden, just if you're with me, he was dancing in the temple. All this is going on. Peter starts to grab the mic, so to speak, and starts to preach. He's preaching, he's throwing down. And all of a sudden, the Sadducees rise up and they're mad. They're like, quit preaching. Why? Because the Sadducees believed in the first five books of the Scripture, the Pentateuch, the Torah. Therefore, You've never read about Jesus in the first five books directly. So they didn't believe the person of Jesus. Therefore, they didn't believe in the crucifixion, the resurrection, the victory over the grave. So when Peter starts to preach about that, they're like, wait, wait, wait. This doesn't compute with our view of Scripture. They want to dismiss it. Well, Peter is, Peter is being flex-cuffed and dragged off the stage. It's like we were at church this morning and we're here and we're gathering together and all of a sudden there's a point where Peter is being dragged from the stage and he literally says, hey, on my way out, turn and receive Jesus Christ. Turn, surrender your life and receive Jesus Christ. It's all connected to the cripple being saved. And 5,000 people, 5,000 people come to faith that day. But Peter is arrested. Peter's arrested, is taken away, and is arrested, and he'll later have to take account for this choice of his to preach. I want to pause for a moment and ask you a question. If I'm Peter, and Jesus is now gone, the Holy Spirit's come, but my buddy is gone, my Savior has gone, I'm here, all of a sudden the Spirit has come, and that's like Jesus on the inside. I don't know if I'm going to be inclined to go out on the outer fringe of the kingdom and start preaching about the one that is gone. If I'm honest, I'm probably going to go, man, we should build like a holy club. We've got some truth. We've got some power. We've got our buddies all around. Let's keep this to ourselves. Do we even need to leave the quote upper room? I'll tell you the tendency for all of us in our lives is to become comfortable when God moves that we want to stay where we are because we want to make a memory. But anytime we want to make a memory, we build the monument. 
But every time God shows up in our lives and speaks the commissioning word into our lives, as I hope that you're here this weekend, that we are called to make a difference, God wants to establish a memory to build a movement, not establish a memory to build a monument. And that is the call over our lives. We're being called to influence. There will be an individual influence, but this weekend I'm speaking more about the call to a corporate influence. You as a church are being called to be a corporate influence. Well, the inclination of every church could be, this is great, this is good here. This is fine, we've accomplished a great deal. Let's just be here for a while. And then the Spirit of God says, no, 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 no. Even when you're being flex cuffed, even when you've got persecution, even when you've got all of the, quote, power, That is when you throw down the gospel. Why? Because every single story matters. Every person matters. Everyone matters. And we should resist the urge for comfort. We should embrace the kingdom of discomfort and be about that. So sure enough, Peter is arrested. And all of a sudden, it says in verse 4, all of those that came to faith were believing there was spiritual momentum. But then look at verse 5. On the next day, the rulers... And the elders and the scribes, they gathered together in Jerusalem. And when they had set them in their midst, they inquired, Peter and John, by what power did you do this? By what power did you do this? You know, it's tempting for us in those moments to go, well, I guess it was our power. But I love what Peter and John, they say, they say this, verse 8. Filled with the Holy Spirit, they say to them, rulers and people and the elders, if we're being examined today because of the good deed done to heal a cripple, here's what we want you to know. It wasn't us. It was Jesus, verse 10, incidentally, the one that you crucified. Verse 11, Acts 4, if you're following along with me, says this, Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders which has become now the cornerstone of faith. And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. It's only Jesus. It's only Jesus. And you go, but that's kind of a simple, kind of selective message. That is the kingdom of God. There are not many ways, but God gave us the way. The way, the truth, and the life. And it's through Jesus Christ. Can I tell you right now, C3 is bringing it bringing it in Cambridge, but it's not your power, it's the power of Jesus. And you, I know you know that. C3 doesn't save anyone. Mountain Springs in Colorado doesn't save anyone. It's Jesus working through us. And as we lift up Jesus, as we lift up Jesus, we go, whoa, whoa, whoa. But I don't know if I can reach those people. You haven't got to reach those people. But as you make much of Jesus in your own life personally, in the corporate gathering through worship, when you make much of Jesus and you say, this is the one that has changed my life, others look to you to look up above you and they fall in love with the one above you. That is the power of Jesus. That is the power of influence. You haven't got to say, man, I've got to gut it out. I've got to go to work and be a Jesus follower. No, no, no. Live after the kingdom. Live with the filling of the Holy Spirit. It says, Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit. Can I be honest? Some of us in this room are full of something. I'm not sure what it is. But we've got to be full of the Holy Spirit. You know what that means? It means that sometimes when you leak, you have to be filled again. There's this ongoing be filled. It's the continuous action of the work of the Holy Spirit. We need the filling of God. Well, sure enough, as we lift up Jesus... He draws people to themselves. Now, pay attention to verse 13. This is where we're going to do a deep dive, and I'm going to go from preaching to meddling. I'm going to meddle with some of your lives this morning. Verse 13. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter, and they saw the boldness of John, 
they perceived, and I want you to try and catch this, that they were uneducated, common men. But because they were uneducated and common, they were astonished. But then they recognized something. They recognized, the scripture tells us, that they had been with Jesus. We all want the miraculous flowing through our lives, but do we want to spend time with Jesus? It's because they spent time with Jesus. And in seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. What made Peter and John so bold was that they were filled with the Spirit and they had spent time with Jesus. But this is the thing I want you to pay attention to. In life, we can apply labels to ourselves. We can say the label, you've seen those labels, my name is, and then you might say rejected. And you apply it to your life. My name is divorced. And you apply it to your life. In the same way, these two labels of uneducated and common are not dissimilar from any other cultural or societal labels that we apply to our own lives, that we apply or culture applies. I am, my name is, busy. I am, my name is, insecure. My name is, addicted. Can I tell you what the kingdom of God does? This is the realm of darkness. The realm of darkness says that label will always be there. You were a drunk. You are a drunk. You will always be a drunk. You will be insecure. Your father, your grandfather, your grandmother, when your parents walked out, when your spouse walked out, and we write the label. The enemy seeks to say you are, you, you're going to be ruined, destroyed, and killed based upon the label. But here's what God does. Here's what God does. Jesus comes and peels off the labels of our lives. Peter was common and yet called. And there is a difference, and I hope you catch it this weekend. There is a difference in our lives between a fact and the truth. There is a difference between the fact. The fact is, some of you in this room cheated on your spouse. The fact is, some of you in this room are so addicted you can't get set free. The fact is that some of you in this room came here today looking at things that you knew you shouldn't have looked at. That is a fact. But that doesn't mean that's the truth about your life. Because the truth of your life is, this might be the fact. Yeah, 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 this is my story, but this is who I am. I am redeemed. Yeah, the world might say I'm common, but I'm called by God. Yeah, yeah, the world might say, yeah, yeah, all I am is I'm a cheater. All I am is a, uh, I'm someone that robs, I steal, I destroy. No, no, no. What God says is you're a work in progress and you're changing. That is the power. When Peter, oh my gosh, of all people, Peter, the guy that like drowns, is like, oh, help me out, Jesus. Like the guy, the same Peter that had labels all over him, doubter, liar, all of these things. All of a sudden, Jesus says, come on, peels those labels. That is true about our lives. Now listen with me, track with me. I don't know what the facts are of your life. I don't know what the facts are of your life. I don't know what happened when you were seven, when you were nine, when you were 12, when you were 19 when your first marriage failed, when you left one country to come to another country, or when you fled one relationship into the arms of another broken situation. I don't know the facts. I don't know the specifics of your story. But here's what I do know. I know the specifics of his story. And that is what changes our story. When we encounter Jesus, the labels are gone. The lies are gone. Yes, the fact is this. The fact won't change. But if we live based upon the facts of life, we miss out on the truth of life. I am the way, the truth, 
and the life. He didn't say, I am the way, the facts, and the life. I am the truth. We have got to live. There's got to be a moment in all of our lives. If you miss everything this weekend, don't miss this one thing and don't miss the story about Joe earlier. Catch this. There's got to become a point in all of our lives where we say, I'm not going to live under the lie of the enemy anymore. I am no longer that. I am not a son into slavery. I have sonship and a daughter of the king. And that is what changes us. Because I'm telling you, if you give somebody a place to stand, Archimedes says, show me, I'll stand and I'll change the world. When you can stand in the family, that I'm no longer shamed by my story, I am redeemed by his story, all of a sudden you have a new day. That's the reason Peter could preach. The reason Peter could preach with power is because he had a personal relationship and the labels were gone. We need that. The C3 church needs the labels to be gone. Some of you might say, well, my label isn't negative. My label is that my name is old. My name is worn out. My name is something, and you dismiss your contribution. Can I tell you right now, if you've walked with Jesus for 35 or 36 plus years, God has entrusted such incredible opportunity for you to invest it in the next generation. The children, I love what I heard recently. I don't even know where I heard it. Maybe it was a message that was even shared here at C3. But we don't raise up, we don't raise up necessarily sons and daughters. We raise up the light. We raise up fathers and mothers. I'm not raising up my boys to be boys. I'm raising up my boys to be men. I'm raising up my men to be fathers. Here's the point. When you're a father in the house, you raise up other fathers in the house. When you're a mother in this house, you raise up other mothers in this house. Here's why. There's so many children. There's so many young people. Together, take off the label that you're old and you're washed up. Take off those labels and say, no, 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 no. I'm just getting started. I'm just getting started. Whether I'm in my 70s, my 80s, we have a gentleman in our church. He is 90 years old. And every time I see him, I look at like alarmed. He goes, what? I go, you're still kicking. He goes, I'm still kicking. And I'm like, come on, let's kick it for the kingdom of God. He's like, I'm all in. He's 90 years old. He's more than double my age. And he goes, I'm ready. Don't don't even slow me down. May we have that spirit among us. So all of this is going on. May I say this over your life? If you have ever wondered, if you have a place in the body of Christ and you've ever wondered about your opportunity to influence, can I tell you that now is your time? Now is your time. Don't ever doubt that. I love this quote that I read some years ago. It's a quote by J. Oswald Sanders, and it says this, A great deal more failure is the result of an excess of caution more than bold experimentation. Now, don't miss this part. The frontiers of the kingdom of God were never advanced by men and women of caution. The greatest threat over your life is not being willing to trust God at his word, but by willing to not. Ephesians 3.20, God can do more than we can ask, seek, or imagine. I don't believe that the, uh, the Lord gets upset with us when we ask more of him. I actually think he is upset with us, quote, upset with us, when we're willing to settle for less. May we be a people that go after it and see our place to make a difference. Well, sure enough, they go on from that in verses 15 through 20. All of a sudden, Peter and John say this, we have to speak about the Lord. 
We have to speak about Jesus. Can I say this, that the big C church, the apostolic church, not just the C3 church, but every church in Cambridge, every church this weekend in Colorado Springs has got to recapture the call on our lives to be apostolic and to raise up men and women, fathers and mothers, sons and daughters to take our towns, to take our regions. We've got to make a difference. So here's what I want to do. I want to kind of close you out with five points. Five points that I believe that every church should do. Every church, every individual, this is our individual call. This is also our corporate call. As we kind of build our frame with maybe this is Acts 3, this is Acts 4, Acts 5 is really the heart of the message. Acts 5 is where we have some very specific points as to how we should live as a Christian community. If you have your app open on YouTube, uh, not YouTube, uh, what is it called, YouVersion? If you're on YouTube right now, go ahead and do your thing. But if you're on YouVersion, track with us. Okay, point one, people were loved. People were loved. Because Peter and John were willing to step out from under the weight of their label, people were loved. At the end of the day, people don't necessarily need to know what you know until they know how much you care. And when you love people, may we as the C3 tribe, may we be a church known as much for preaching the gospel, celebrating and worship as we will be a church known for loving the broken. And I wanna speak this over you right now. If you're new to the C3 or you still feel new, you are wanted here, you are welcomed here. Your story is not just tolerated, your story is celebrated. We want you here. We want you here. We want you in this house. Why? Because we want to see your story loved so much that you experience the grace of God, that you look back upon your life and you say, I'm not just saved from my addiction. I am saved for the call of God. That is the reason we gather. So don't ever limit what you can do. Don't ever limit your contribution. So number one, people were loved. Number two, people were saved. Our world is broken by sin. It's broken by sin. And I just so happen to believe that the work of the church is a work of restoration. Let me tell you why. Jesus said, this is how I want you to pray. He said, your father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Where is Jesus when he says that? Here. Your kingdom come. Where? In case you're wondering, here on earth, as is where? In heaven. I believe that the work of the church is to create this picture of global restoration here as we work with the Father. We work through the victory of the Son and the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit and we bring a work of restoration here. I pray that we would see hundreds more people come to faith. May last week, 24, be a seed sown in the soil of the kingdom and we say, come on now, we want a tenfold return. We want 240. We want 480. We want more people coming through this house, people getting saved. Acts 5.14 says, more than ever, Believers were being added to the Lord, multitudes of men and women. Number three, number three, people were healed. People were healed. It says this in verse 15 of Acts 5. They carried out the sick into the streets. In other words, there were people dying in their homes that were brought by friends into the streets in the hope that Peter, or at least his shadow, might fall on some of them. I want to tell you that as the early church began to preach, it also prayed, it also set people free, it also ministered to the health needs. During the first century, the early church had one humanitarian crisis 
after another. First, second, third, fourth century. By the fourth century, when the Council of Nicaea gathered together for the Nicene Creed, we believe in God the Father, etc., the Nicene Creed. You went through an Apostles' Creed series some months ago, as I understand. The Nicene Creed, as they wrote the Nicene Creed, they made this decision. The church should build cathedrals. The church itself, the people, should build cathedrals for worship, but every time they build a cathedral for worship, they should build a hospice for care. And every time a cathedral was built, a hospice was built. Why? Because they realized that the souls of men are in some ways perpetuated by the brokenness of their situation. And they said, we will build hospices so that when people can be rehabilitated and they come to a point of Christ, their souls are saved and their bodies are redeemed. We have got to be a church. We have got to be. This is the call of God on our lives to where we are caring for people, to where we are healing people. The empire was changed because of that one thing. The empire was changed because of hospice care, but also cathedral worship. May we be a place known as much for preaching with clarity as caring with compassion. Because when we compare with, we care with compassion, all of a sudden, in some cases, people see the clarity of the gospel. Whereas others get the gospel and are compelled to go that way. May we be that kind of church. Point four, people were delivered. People were delivered. It says in verse 16, the people gathered from the towns around Jerusalem. Why? Because they were afflicted with unclean spirits and they were all set free. As much as God wants you to be set free, there is an enemy that wants you to be held captive. He wants you to be held back. He wants the chains of your past to hold you back. The church has got to be the entity and the institution of all people, of all walks of life, colors of skin, ethnicities, backgrounds, and stories that say, the chain breaker set me free. That is what the church does. We declare it. And if you're here right now and you're listening to this and you're like, man, everyone's amening, but I've got a chain. Can I tell you, we've all got chains. We're all here right now. We're the healed, the, uh, the healers. And if you're broken, may you be healed by somebody that's broken and still walking in victory because of Jesus. But yet at the same time, we've got a story. We've all got this, but we need the chains broken. If you're here right now and you've got chains, welcome. Welcome because we all do. But the church should be the church that says your chains can be broken in the name of Jesus. That's what Peter said when he looked at the man. He says, silver and gold, I have none, but I have something that you really need. I know a chain breaker. And the chains of darkness and affliction were broken. All right, point five. Point five, in closing, everyone can say a mighty amen. Here we go. We're coming into land. Return your tray tables to their upright and locked position. We are coming in hot and hard. Point five, all of this happens. People were loved. People were saved. People were healed. People were delivered. Why? Because people were sent. People were sent. We are called to be sent. Friends, we are not just saved from something. We are saved for something. We're not just saved from our story. We're saved for his story. We're saved for an opportunity to minister. We're saved for mission and obedience. Mission and obedience. Go into all the world teaching disciples mission. To be obedient. Obedience, he requires that of us too. We're not just saved from, we are saved for. All of this can happen. And I want to speak over our church, your church. I want to speak over this town that it will change. Why? Because people will be sent. Maybe you're here right now and you're thinking back to the label. I'm too busy. Take that label off. Well, I'm too old. Take that label off. Well, I'm too inexperienced. Take that label off. 
Well, I may be of the wrong whatever, story, side of town, ethnicity. Oh Lord Jesus, forgive us. If we've ever created this view that a certain person are the ones that are sent, we are all called and sent. I tell you, the priest, the text tells us, the priest was the one that called Peter into his office and said, Peter, what are you doing? You know why the priest did that? The priest had spent his whole life training for the moment to be the preacher of the temple. And all of a sudden, this young upstart, Peter, shows up, and Peter's now preaching. Can I tell you that in God's economy, God raises up who He chooses. And that qualifies all of us. doesn't matter our story. So people are sent. We're not just saved from, we're saved for. And that is the call. And that is the spirit of C3. I read some stuff recently about your church. And I was so moved that none of our stories disqualify us. That there is this power of redemption through the ongoing work of the Spirit. Now listen, if you're here right now for the first time, or maybe you've joined in the last few months and you're like, really, could this be such, such the good news for me? Could Jesus truly save me? Could Jesus truly transform my story? Many years ago, 20 or so years ago, when I was here in the Iceland community near Newmarket, God saved my life in a powerful way, set me free, did a work of redemption in my life. And yes, He can do it again. He can do it again in your life. He does it again every day in my life. And says, okay, let's do this. Let's do this. So all of this happened because people were sent. Don't allow the label of your life to limit your life. Don't allow any lie in your life to limit your life. Say, God, you are able to do more than I can ask, seek, or imagine, because in you, I am more than a conqueror. I am more than a conqueror. I want to pray. But as we pray and kind of close up, I want to ask you to consider one of three things. Number one, maybe you're here and you feel like you're the cripple by the beautiful gate, the temple. And you say, man, I struggle to look people in the eye. I came here this morning and I'm unable to look people in the eye. I spoke to a gentleman directly after the first service. And he spoke as he looked into my eye and shared the story of his life. And he goes, I'm so glad I'm here. And I said, I'm so glad you are here. But if you're here right now and you feel far from God, in just a moment, I wanna pray for you to receive Jesus Christ. But also if you'd say this, I've walked with Jesus for 12 years, but during those 12 years, I just keep putting labels on my body, labels that limit my life. And you'd say, I want the labels gone. We want to do that too today. But also for those of you that would say, man, I don't feel like I've got a label, but I'm just laying around. I'm not doing much. Now is the time. Now is the time. Will you stand with me? Lord, we want to create. We want to create in this moment, a moment of faith. A moment, God, where we expect and ask of you. Lord, I pray right now that we would be a people that would be expectant. There would be a spiritual expectancy in this moment. God, that you would do a work in our lives. If you're here right now and maybe with your heads bowed, if you would say, man, this is my story. I, I feel like I'm discarded. I feel like I'm not wanted. And you'd say, I wanna surrender my heart over to Jesus Christ right now for the very first time. Or maybe you need to come to a point of saying, I didn't really... I don't know if I really intended or meant what I said, but today I wanna come back to the heart of the Father. And you would say, that's your story right now. I want you to raise your hand nice and high. Raise your hand right now and you'd say, yeah, this is my life. I wanna surrender my heart to Christ. And I wanna ask those of you in the room right now that would say, there are some labels in my life 
And I've allowed the label, maybe it's not unschooled and common, but maybe your label is old or divorced or unwanted or insecure or addicted. And you would say right now, by faith, you're going to literally pull the label off of your body. And you would say, yes, that's true. Raise your hand with me right now. You'd say, yep, that's my story. Amen. So many hands. That's right. Let's pray. Father, we pray by your mighty Holy Spirit that in this moment, we ask that you would come. There is no other name. There is no other name but the name of Jesus. From the first century now here to the 21st century, it's the name of Jesus that saves us. It's the name of Jesus that wins and woos us. It's the name of Jesus that redeems us as we repent and turn our back on a life of sin to a moment and an encounter of redemption. Lord, would you continue to change and transform our lives? Lord, that you would by your Spirit, the ongoing work of the Spirit, but the finished work of the cross, that we would be a people of the Spirit and we would by faith take those labels off of us right now. Lord, I pray in this room, people won't leave here today feeling the effect or the weight of their label. They won't feel cultural or societal shame. They would feel a new kingdom call that this is who I am. I'm chosen. I'm a son or a daughter of the King. I'm no longer held back by the chains of my past. I'm no longer held back by the story or those that people say about me. I am declared who I am by the only one, the only voice that truly speaks who I am into existence, the name of Jesus. Lord, Father, we pray right now. Lord, that we would be a sent people. Lord, we speak over the C3 church, that we would be a sent people, that God, through this series of influence, that we would be influencers both in our personal realm, but also in our corporate sphere. God, that we would make a difference for your kingdom. We ask, Lord, that you would do it again and through us. If you're here right now and you would say, yes, I want to surrender my heart to Jesus Christ, I want to encourage you, talk to somebody on your way out. Look for somebody wearing a blue shirt, a blue connect shirt. Say, I want to take the next step. I need to have that next conversation about Jesus. And for the rest of us, many of us that have labels, leave them at the door when you walk out. Leave them at the door. Stick them on the cross metaphorically. Realize that the cross says, redeemed in the place of am I remembered? You are redeemed. Don't remember as far as the east is from the west so have those labels been removed from you by Jesus' name. Let's sing together as we close. It's been a real honour being with you. Let's raise the roof. No other name. It's the name of Jesus. Let's raise our voices. Come on church.